Well, Happy New Year, church family. This is the first 2022 uh, online service, and so we're excited to be together, and I hope that you can choose to engage in this time of worship.
in the waiting. He's in the Hey there, ABF. So good to be with you today. Hey, my name is Josh. I have a few things for you so that you know what's going on here over the next few weeks and months. First of all, if we can pray for you in any way, text your prayer request to 97,000. 97,000. There's a lot going on here at the church. If you're interested in finding out more about what's going on, check out our website, agorabible.org. Tons of stuff there on the calendar. You can see it all there. Finally, if you're interested in supporting the ministry here, you can also do that online underneath the Give tab. Hey, let me pray for us, and we're going to dive into God's Word together. Dear Lord, uh, Father, just thank you so much for this time and this opportunity online to be together and to dive into your Word. Lord, I pray that you just speak to our hearts right now. We need you to. We love you so much, and pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Well, hello, church family. As mentioned, so glad you're here and online with us as we continue uh, just working through God's Word together and excited to start in a new series working through the book of Hebrews. And I'm wondering how many in our audience here listening today would describe themselves as a church kid. When I say church kid, I mean someone that grew up in the church, that did the, the Sunday school years, that did their time in Awana, that went to really into the youth groups or programs that were out there. If you are a church kid, as I described there, I would suggest it would have been hard to make it through church programs without some, at some point, playing a game called Bigger or Better. Bigger or better. Maybe you remember this game, the whole object of it. Basically, you'd break the group that you had into teams and they'd start off with something uh, with a very small value. It might have be, been a dollar. It might have been a, a paper clip. And the whole goal of that was for the team to try in the course of the time together is to go from place to place trying to increase what they had, trying to get something bigger or better. I remember doing this with different youth groups over the years, and one was especially impressive. One of the, the group's college-age uh, students came back and uh, surprised with some people had uh, gotten something like a TV, another group got something else a little bit bigger, but then one group showed up with a car and title in hand, playing just over a few hours. They ended up with something fairly substantial. I don't remember what we ended up doing with the car, but it was pretty impressive, the bigger and better idea. The reason I bring that up is because I think if you're to summarize how a lot of people live their life, that whole bigger, better mentality is kind of a life theme where they're constantly, to some degree, uh, assessing and trying to determine what is bigger and what is best and then aligning their lives to, to try to accommodate that, to, to reach out for what is bigger, whether it's a better education, whether it's a better or bigger career, whether it's a house, a car, a spouse, group of friends, or, or church. I don't know what it is in your life, but the bigger, better can be quite consuming if we're not careful. What I love about this theme in our book of Hebrews is really the whole idea of this, the whole uh, idea of trading up is, is finally coming to a, a conclusion because the author is trying to solve what the whole world seems to wrestle with 
and presents us with what is the greatest. What is the greatest? And based on the, the title here of this series, you can probably guess where we're going with this, but it's something that when we actually find the conclusion to that, what is the greatest, finally, our souls can rest. Let me pray before we begin to explore this book together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this chance to gather around uh, this book and this study. And so many of us spend so many years and so much time chasing after the, the bigger, better, and maybe not even realizing it. I thank you for the conclusion that this book comes to that's stated right out of the gates that you are the greatest. You are what's worth it. You are the only thing that satisfies. I pray that that would, truth would sink in deep to our souls, Lord, and I pray that this study would be profitable for each one of us just in our understanding of what this life is about and what actually satisfies. We submit now this time to you in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, a little bit of uh, background on our book here of Hebrews. We'll start with that. It's, first off, it's not a case for God loving coffee. Get it? The Hebrews. No, instead, it's not a letter either. It's not something for us to, to look at with like a lot of the Pauline epistles that start with an initial greeting, an introduction of who the author is. It's very different than really most any other letter in the New Testament because it's written less like a letter and more like a sermon. In fact, if you read through the book of Hebrews, it would take you about 35 minutes to read it through out loud. And it really has more of like a doctoral thesis feel to it than it does necessarily a letter. A lot of people wonder who the author is because it's not initially stated right out of the, the gates. In fact, it's very different. There's no grace and peace to you like some of the other letters. In fact, no one exactly is positive about who it is. We assume that it's not Paul because typically in his uh, writings, they do start with that initial type of greeting. And also in chapter 2, verse 3, it refers to, it says, they attested to us by those who heard him. So in other words, these things came across to us by those who heard directly from Jesus. And Paul himself always referred to being a, an eyewitness and hearing from him directly. Some suggest the possibility because it refers to Timothy later in the letter that it might have been his friend Apollos. Others suggest that it was Barnabas. Really, to be honest with you, I don't have a set conclusion on it. I'm content with just knowing that it's directed by God. And so really, that's the, the main thing, him guiding our author. Who it's written to is up to some debate, but really a lot, of, uh, a lot of theologians have concluded the same things, that it would have been written to a Jewish audience. So mostly made up of believers, I'm sure mixed in, would have been some wrestling through the idea of following Jesus. But what's interesting is so much of it presumes on an Old Testament background for its listener. Is it so many times quoting the Old Testament? So if you were to approach it without any kind of that background in that, it would for sure be difficult. It's written somewhere, most likely in the period of time between 30 and 65 AD, because it's before the fall of Israel in 70 AD. So written to Jewish converts that are just trying to figure out what does it look like to follow Jesus Christ? Really, the theme of the book I've already alluded to 
The theme of the book is this, Jesus is all that you need. He's greater than everything, greater than anyone. He's the greatest of all time. Muhammad Ali has nothing on Jesus, and that's the big idea of this book. It starts right out of the, out of the gates, having some pretty major comparisons to point out him being qualified to be the greatest. We'll start right here in chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in those last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Now, it starts with the words long ago, and I apologize, I don't have the maturity to resist a Star Wars reference here, a long time ago in a galaxy far away. What it's referring to here, though, is a long, when it says long ago, he's talking about the way in which God communicated to people. He utilized, as we see here, prophets to be his spokespeople and using them in a variety of different ways, not just speaking what his message was. He wrote on walls, he spoke through bushes, he talked to us through poems, through a donkey, through pithy sayings and proverbs, through vivid dreams, even whispering in a whirlwind. This audience would be very familiar with the Old Testament and all the ways that God chose to communicate to us. In fact, as you know, if you've been around ABF, we just finished this series looking at the way in which God communicated to us through the prophet Isaiah. The Jews were known, if you don't realize this, for elevating and making a huge deal about prophets. In fact, they often, unfortunately, elevated them to kind of more like God-like status. So in this text right out of the gates here, he's not saying that these prophets are bad. What, said to, what they said and what they communicated was accurate, but it was incomplete. And these days, now it's complete. It's fulfilled. It's, it's not partial anymore. It's kind of like the difference between vanilla ice cream. Vanilla ice cream is awesome. Who doesn't like vanilla ice cream? But there's something about, about moose tracks or chunky monkey that's very different and feels a lot more complete. I apologize for that ana analogy, but here's the idea of what's changed is before they were communicating about the sun, now it is the sun who's communicating. The prophet spoke before about his coming. Now he is the message. It's important for us to understand in this, and I wanted to hit pause for a moment to consider that for us, we're a community of people that God is trying to communicate with. My question for us, are we listening? Are we listening to what he wants to say to us through his son? Are we actually locked in? Anybody that does any degree of study on communication understands that communication and listening takes engagement. If you've been married for any amount of time, you realize what a challenge this can be. And you can get yourself in a, in a conversation and be zoning out completely and realize in the middle of that conversation with your spouse, oh yeah, I'm supposed to be listening. And you have kind of that crossroads in the middle of a conversation where you're thinking about other things where you either own up and acknowledge, I haven't really been listening, or you try to fake it and make it through. 
My hope is, is that in this series, we would actually slow down and listen. God, what do you want to say to me through your son? What do you want to say? Either way, the idea that we're hearing directly from God in the flesh is pretty amazing thing here. So I'd love to begin this series with a posture of listening because Jesus is the final word. There's not more coming. He is the completion of God's message to mankind. He describes him in a number of different ways right out of the gates there. One of them that should catch our attention is the heir of all things. Every single thing that your eye ever has fallen upon belongs to him, whether it's person or possession. It all belongs to him. Not just heir of all things, he's the creator and designer of all things. This is a theme that's throughout the New, the New Testament and old, we see directly in the Old, his presence. John 1, 2 through 3 says this, He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. His arrival in a manger was not the beginning of Jesus' existence. 1 Corinthians 8, 6 says, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Colossians 1.15, same exact theme. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. Pretty impressive resume right out of the gates in this powerful sermon written to us that he's the creator of all things. Some of us get excited about building a back deck or uh, installing a backsplash in our kitchen. This is his resume. It's set apart from all, all else. It's supernatural. And to understand that he's speaking to us is more important than anyone else that's ever spoken to us. So many have arrived on the scene since then claiming to have a new and better revelation than Jesus, whether it's Joseph Smith or Muhammad, but neither have this on their resume as heir of all things and creator of all things. This is just the opening description of Jesus. We'll continue with his resume in verse three. It says, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Pretty powerful description there. Basically the closest possible metaphors that could be used between Jesus and God. Describes him as the, the radiance of the glory of God. 
No one can see God because he dwells in unapproachable light, but we can encounter Jesus. He's the radiance. He's basically, the idea of radiance is like the sun rays, where you're not able to look upon the sun, and you obviously can't get close to the sun, but you can experience the, the warmth of the rays. Just the other day, there was a little pause in the rain just for a few hours, and the, and the sun poked through. And Adrian and I remember we took a, a few minutes just to sit on our front porch. We don't normally sit in our front yard, but just sitting there and just soaking in the rays. Rays of the sun that have successfully made it those 91 million miles to earth. That's the idea that he describes as the the radiance of the glory of God. The glory of God that, if you remember in the Old Testament, left Moses with a glow about him. This is the radiance of God. And he describes this radiance. He says the exact imprint of his nature. Exact imprint of his nature. It's the idea used here of a signet ring. I don't know if you've ever had a, a chance to use a signet ring or some kind of an imprint that you take it, it's heated up and it's pushed into warm wax. And what does it do? It leaves an exact imprint of what the signet ring looked like. That's the idea, again, of this resume, this description of who Jesus is, the exact imprint of God's nature. This was the the only way that it was possible for us to experience God. If we didn't have this exact imprint, we'd be left just to, to speculate of what God is like. But instead, he introduced himself to us, came down, lived amongst us, walked amongst us, lived and navigated this life perfectly as an example for us. Says that he upholds the universe So not only did he create the universe, he also upholds the universe with the power of his words. How crazy is that description to think about who we're dealing with as almighty God, not just creating everything, but sustaining everything. It's interesting as the scientific world tries to explore how things are are held together. One of the studies have been about what holds together an atom. What actually allows that or keeps that uh, from, from breaking apart and exploding. They can't explain it from any human perspective. So they have something that they've come up with. They've actually described it as atomic glue holds together the atom. They don't know what the source is of the atomic glue, but it is fascinating when you compare that to Colossians 1.17 that says, In him all things hold together. He is the glue. Not just the glue holding things together, but expanding things. As we're in a a universe that continues to expand, as you have grass that's growing at this very moment, as you have a heart that keeps beating where you have no say or control over that, all of it, he's in control, keeping planets in orbit. All of this, he's sustaining with his power. Nothing, nothing more to be done. He's perfectly in control. I like this picture. It also describes after he has made purification for sins, he sat down. Last week, Chris did a powerful job of explaining the the payment that was made for each one of us on that cruel Roman cross. It's interesting to see this, that after he completed that, what does it describe that he's now doing? He's seated there at the right hand of the Father. Seated. You see, there's nothing left to be completed. 
There's nothing that we're waiting for. We've watched a, a decent amount of Marvel movies while being sick at home for the last couple of weeks. And one of the interesting thing in each one of these Marvel movies is there's always some kind of a, a delayed scene at the end of the movie. We were watching that crazy uh, Hawkeye show, and one of the, the, the very last episode has this delayed scene of them being in this crazy Avengers musical. You're like, what? Why did I wait to watch this? A lot of people approach something like that as they're waiting for Jesus to do something else. Like there's going to be some kind of fireworks or fan, fanfare, but no, what he's going to do for our rescue has already been completed. Now... The ball is on our court. What are we going to do? How are we going to be responding? It's not, he's not getting up for another presentation. He's already found his seat and now it's left for us to, de to decide how we respond to him. Continues in this powerful description and really some clarification for our audience. Verse four, it says, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. Here he's doing a little bit of clarifying for us as an audience. You might be like, what, what is he talking about? Why in the world would he be comparing Jesus to angels? You have to understand in the audience that we're dealing with, they had really elevated in the Old Testament angels to be a really huge deal. Many falsely believed that they operated kind of like a, a council or a senate for God, that he consulted the angels before coming to any conclusions or decisions. They also believed that angels were the mediator of God's covenant between God and, and, and man, or that they would take care of every aspect of the, the universe. As, 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 I'm sorry, not Essenes, but Gnostics even were known for worshiping him. One rabbi claimed that every blade of grass had its own angel there directing it. So thinking that they were in a position of a, a authority that they just weren't. So here he's correcting and pointing to a variety of different passages. In fact, he quotes just two passages here, Psalm 2 and 2 Samuel 7. They're the first two of 69 Old Testament quotations in the book of Hebrews. But he's wanting to make sure we're clear on what is said about angels and what is not said about angels. He describes to the audience there, making sure that Jesus is intended to be the only one known as the Son of God, the only one that he could refer to as Father, the only one that the angels were intended to worship. He's there correcting confusion about angels. And we might think to ourselves, man, that seems so out of date or out of context. But if you think about actually our current world, how many people are still misled about angels? Did you know that Mormons believe that Jesus was a spirit brother of Lucifer? Did you know that Jehovah's Witnesses believe Jesus is the archangel Michael? 
You see, you can read about these false doctrines even on their websites present day. So there's still obviously confusion about who Jesus is as it relates to angels. Here, scripture is crystal clear about who he is and who he's not and how he relates to the angels. Angels being designed to worship Jesus Christ. For this audience, as we've seen thus far, really identifying two things that they inappropriately elevate. Hopefully you've caught them so far. The first one was having to do with the prophets. They made a, them into somewhat godlike characters. The second one being angels, wanting to correct wrong theology as it relates to angels. For us, I wonder present day what he would confront for us that we need to get some correction on what is greater than. Jesus is greater than what? I was thinking about that question a little bit just in my preparation this week. What are the things that maybe we've elevated to an unhealthy, God-like status? Thinking about in our culture, in our day and age, some of those possibilities, you can wrestle through whether these relate for you. I would suggest one of the things that we've elevated to a top priority in this culture is freedom. Freedom. We'll do anything for it, anything to protect it, anything to fight for it. Freedom is something that I would suggest has been elevated to a godlike status in our culture. Another thing I would suggest that's been elevated maybe inappropriately, safety. We're worth fighting and doing anything possible to protect one's safety in order to adjust anything in our lives, in order to remain safe. I'd describe us as the stay safe culture. We're so committed to safety and that's been on full display in the last couple of years. But my question is, is, that a is there a biblical basis for that type of living? Freedom, safety, Third one that I think would be confronted if written to our present day culture would be the idea of comfort. We're a world that doesn't want to see anything altered from the level of comfort that we've grown accustomed to. That's why I would suggest right now the Democratic Party is whirling a bit because they're a bit concerned because their popularity is diminished because as inflation goes up, our comfort is threatened. So anybody that's in politics understands that if you're going to stay in positions of authority, you have to make sure that you don't do anything that compromises the comfort of the people. All of these things we have to wrestle through. Have we elevated those as greater than the greatest, greater than our God? Here we continue in verse 8. He's describing other things that God, that Jesus is greater than. He says, but of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like garments, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end." 
My former lead pastor back in Chicago, James McDonald, he was referring to this section of scripture. He says, next time two guys dressed the same come to your door and try to convince you Jesus is not God, you can point them to what God actually says about Jesus. Do you see it here in verse eight? But, but of the son, he says, referring to God, your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. So again, referring to the son as God, referring to his throne, referring to his scepter and his leadership being marked with, with, with righteousness. This is the description of Jesus Christ. Pretty awesome description. He's describing here what he's greater than. We've already seen other things that he's greater than. Obviously greater than the angels, greater than the prophets. Now, greater than this earth. Now, obviously he made it, but he describes its frailty here in the text. He says, they will perish, but you will remain. They will wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same and your years will have no end. This earth that we're so committed to and, and see left and right, so many tree huggers that are trying to rescue the planet and save all of this, we're reminded in scripture that it's only temporary, that it's only a short season, that eventually it too will wear out, that it will be rolled up, that it will be replaced. The one constant thing in this is Jesus. He's the one timeless thing. He's the one that's, that's worth our attention and our affection. Remember just a few years back being up in Canada and having an opportunity to interact with a, a couple news journalists that were actually on, on main uh, channel anchors and just talking with them a little bit of how I saw kind of the perspective in which I saw things happening in the, the world and seeing what was going on. How would you interpret it from a, from a pastor's perspective? It's interesting in that conversation because I pointed a bit to this. I just said, you know what? It seems to me like it's all winding down and we're getting closer and closer to Jesus' return. Not all of this is, is permanent. Some of this is going to fade. Some of this is going to pass. The one constant, the one thing worthy of being the anchor of our soul is Jesus Christ. That's the one thing that's unchanging. Your years will have no end, we're told. We'll wrap up in these last two verses. So greater than the earth. Now we see greater than his enemies. It says, and to which of the, the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are, are to inherit salvation? I'll be honest with you, my uh, TikTok feed these mo more recent days is jam-packed with suggestions for outrage. I'll repeat that. My TikTok is jam-packed with suggestions 
for outrage. Really, if you think about that, that is social media constantly appealing for new things that you should be outraged about, whether it's corruption in leadership and government, whether it's the brokenness of big pharma, whether it's the billionaires that are controlling the media. Even if a portion of this is correct, there should be, you would think that there would be a degree of panic in each one of us. As we're constantly introduced to all these possibilities of things being broken and seemingly surrounded with just people with ill intent. But notice what it says here. It's describing again the angels. He says, have, you, have I ever said to you, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? You see, you get a little bit of the, the, the idea of where our God is coming from as he looks at the fallen state of our world. There's no part of panic that's a part of a description of our God. You don't see him pacing back and forth. It's just a matter of waiting until his enemies are put before our foot, uh, put, be, put be beneath our feet. Describes the role of the angels. He says, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Guess who are the people that are to inherit salvation? Those of us who've embraced Jesus Christ. That is reminding us what the role of the angel is in the position and response that we should have to things that are seemingly hopeless, that are seemingly out of control. He's fully reigning. He's not pacing. This is all pointing us to a book that in its entirety reminds us that he is the greatest. When we're exhausted and worn out with all that's happening in our world to go, keep going back to th this idea that we have a God that is reigning over all of this. There's such a, a propensity to miss out on the, the greater things and settle for things that are lesser great. Some of the, the things like our freedom, some of the things like our, our comfort, some of those, those things that appeal for our attention and our affection. But my hope is for us, even during this time of working through this book, that there'd be a, a moment of exhale and coming back to who is the greatest? Is he getting the attention that he deserves in our lives? Let me pray just as we wrap up and consider these things. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this powerful reminder, more, more so in, uh, in sermon format than in letter format, reminder of who we're dealing with. A God that spoke to us in different ways in the past, but now a God who's speaking to us through Jesus. My hope is, is that we'd be listeners, that we'd be paying attention to the message that he has. And the message that I see is a God that's in complete control. A God that's, that's seated uh, and, and watching all of this transpire, not, not with knees knocking or in fear, but in complete control, holding it all together with the power of his words. I pray that we would be able to rest easy knowing this, that there would be a confidence that goes to our very soul when we're reminded of who you are and who we are if we've embraced you. I pray for the person that's may, maybe been delaying and hasn't necessarily responded to the message, to the finished work that's described here, that you've paid the price on the cruel Roman cross. I pray for that person that they wouldn't be waiting for the after credits, 
that what's going to happen has already happened and now the ball is in our court in choosing how we're going to respond. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your patience with us. We praise you now through song. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. You were the word at the beginning. One with God, the Lord most high. You hid in glory in creation. Now revealed in you are Christ. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus Christ, our King. What a beautiful name it is, Jesus, you brought heaven down. Your sin was great, your love was greater. What could separate us now? What a wonderful name it is. What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus.
All right, church family, again, thanks so much for being with us online. And hopefully with this bigger and better idea that we would choose to trade up as we start this new year, turning our lives over once again to the one who's in complete control. We praise him for that. Now have a wonderful remainder of your day.